Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody, how are you doing, church? Everybody doing okay? All right, from behind the mask and everything, you sound great. Um, hey, listen, welcome to church today. I wanna extend a welcome to those of you that are watching on campus at one of our 14 locations. Hello, good to see everybody, you look great. And I also wanna extend a welcome to those that are watching online. If you are on campus, could you help me welcome the folks that are online? Come on, everybody. Great to have you. We're pumped. If you got your Bible today, I want you to go ahead and throw it open to the book of Luke, chapter 24. We've been in a series that you just heard called Marked by the Presence of God. It sits right in the middle of our vision statement. Uh, and uh, this entire series, I think, has been incredible. It's been helpful. We've been really trying to do our best to answer the question, why does it matter that we're marked by the presence of God? What does it even look like to be marked by the presence of God. How can I be marked by the presence of God? We've had several weeks. Um, uh, today is the second to last installment. Next week will be the end of this series, and it's gonna be really special. Um, but here's the bottom line that we've kind of been rallying around uh, throughout this entire series. Here's the statement. You don't need less problems in your life. Lots of problems out there, but you don't need less problems. You actually just need more presence in your life. The Bible would teach that uh, you and I are going to face troubles. We're going to face trials. We're going to face tribulation. And the, the gospel way is that those things don't go away. It's actually that we have God with us in the valley of the shadow of death. And so we don't have to fear any evil because he is with us. And that's good news in 2020, but it's also gonna be good news in 2021 and 2022 and 2023. It's gonna be good news every single election cycle. It's gonna be good news the next time there's a pandemic. It's gonna be good news when you get that bad doctor's report. You and I don't need less problems. What do we need, church? We need more presence. And so that's what this series has been about. Now, uh, if you wanna go ahead, like I said, and turn your Bibles to Luke 24, let me give you a picture of where I'm going today, okay? Luke 24, uh, one of my favorite pastors, a hero, uh, used to say that as a preacher, what you wanna try to do is you wanna try every single time you preach to hold the word of God in one hand and hold the newspaper in the other and preach the timeless truth in a timely manner. Now, just to be honest, I don't have a newspaper because the timely manner is that nobody reads a newspaper anymore, right? They're going out, but I got my iPad. So here we go. The timeless truth in a timely manner. Today, I think it's gonna be very helpful practically for you. We're gonna look at the gospel timeless truth and it's gonna be so helpful in how to navigate the unbelievable world that we're in today okay, where there's all kinds of crazy things happening, where there's all kinds of um, desperation, there's all kinds of depression, there's all kinds of division, there's all kinds of despair, and, uh, and how in the world are you gonna operate as a Christ follower? How are you gonna lead your families uh, as a Christ follower? How are you gonna navigate college or your dating life or your, your, your middle school sports team? How are you gonna navigate it as a retiree? And so today's gonna be very helpful there. Luke 24, let me catch us up to speed right quick. So in Luke 24, where we are is we're actually gonna lean in to a conversation that two Jesus followers are having. Now at the time of this conversation, these two Jesus followers are after the crucifixion of Christ on the cross, just days after. So what they have got going on is a lot of the same things that we can recognize in our world today. I'm sure, we don't see it necessarily, but I'm sure you can feel the weight of desperation in their conversation. I'm sure you can feel the heaviness of despair and, and potentially even depression in their conversation because these men had been following Jesus 
They've been following his way. They've been following his, his ministry. And now this man that was leading them, Jesus, the one who had said that he was God, the one who had said he was the Messiah that the Old Testament had talked about, that same man, they had witnessed him die on the cross. And so with their own eyes, they saw their hopes and their dreams be wrapped up, taken down, and buried in a tomb. And so they're having to wrestle with the reality and the question, did I believe a lie? Where's my hope now? I thought Jesus was the solution to the Roman power and authority in Israel. I thought Jesus said that he was gonna come and like David, establish a kingdom. He talked about the kingdom all the time. And I gave my life to this. I, I might have even left some things. To, uh, I might have even sown into his ministry. I might have even le left the way that I was going to follow him. And now I'm having to navigate the waters of despair. I'm having to navigate the waters of depression. I'm having to navigate the waters of division, the, the crazy uh, world of political and, and religious division that would have been present right there in first century Israel. And so they're having this conversation. It's known as the conversation on the road to Emmaus. That was the town they were walking towards. And as they're talking, Luke 24 records that a stranger folds in to their conversation. This would have been normal. People traveling by foot and they're walking and here comes somebody they didn't know at the time, but they, they're kind of in this water cooler dialogue about the politics of the day, the religion of the day. Who's gonna be able to bring hope? Now to where do we lean? Can we, can we find hope in Herod? Do we, do we find hope in, in our religious zeal? Where, where, where's the hope gonna be for Israel, for God's people? What about the scriptures? And so you can just imagine this stranger walking up to the conversation and beginning to share some truth. And I believe the truth he shares with the, the friends on Emmaus Road, he wants to share with you and I today. And he wants to speak right into our moment that we're in in 2020 in an election cycle, in a cultural crazy space full of depression, division, and all of those things. So let's lean into the scriptures. We'll pick it up in verse 27, and here's what actually happens on the road. It said that the stranger comes up, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, Jesus, the stranger, interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he was gonna go a little bit further. He wasn't pulling over for the night like they were, but they urged him strongly saying, no, 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 stay with us for it's towards evening and the day is far spent. So Jesus went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, watch this, he took bread, he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them, verse 31, and their eyes were opened. And they were like, whoa, right? And they recognize Jesus, and immediately, as soon as they recognize him, he vanishes. I mean, that would have been crazy, right? I mean, I don't know if that's Star Trek, like Scotty beam me up moment, or what that would have happened, but they literally see Jesus, and as soon as they recognize it's him, he vanishes, verse 32, and then they start to talk to each other, and they're like, you can, ex you can just understand this. It's gonna be such excitement, such energy, and they're saying, whoa, wait a minute, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us as we walked along the road? while he opened up the scriptures to us. And they rose that same hour in the middle of the night. Remember, they tried to talk Jesus from going any further because it was late, but it says that they got up at dark that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. And when they got there, they found the 11 disciples and those who were with them 
gathered together, and then you can see their excitement. Verse 34, they say, Jesus has risen. The Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon Peter. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Let me pray. Father God, the same miracle that happened for those friends, those followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, Lord, will you do that today? Would you help us to see you? We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, I wanna just point out a couple of things in the text. The first one is this. I want you to look at verse 32 right there in the 24th chapter. It says that they said to each other after Jesus was revealed to them, did not our hearts burn? Now, this is important because during this Mark by the Presence series, we've been talking about how God shows himself many times in the scriptures through the metaphor of fire. Last week, Pastor Dan talked about it in terms of Elijah and how the, 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 the God showed his power and his presence as he, as he showed up in a worship moment as nothing else was gonna be lifted higher than God and as people lifted God higher above everything else, he would consume the idols. But right now, God's not gonna show up in an actual fire out there. He's gonna show up in a fire in their own hearts. But here's what I wanna show you. That fire within them, when did it show up? It showed up when he talked to us on the road while he opened the scriptures to us. Let's look back at verse 27. It says that Jesus began with Moses. So Moses was the historical writer of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So Jesus is showing them that the five books of the law, the books of Moses, was really about him. Not only was that about him, but all of the prophets was about him. See that? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, Jonah, all the prophets, it was really about him. Jesus interpreted it to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Okay, now this is powerful, but I want you to write it down. Here's the bottom line for today's sermon. Ready? Here it is. You and I will experience the presence of God in the word of God when you look through the lens of Jesus. Okay, powerful. You and I have an opportunity to experience God's presence when a proper lens is over our eyes and we see Jesus in everything. Now listen, many of you, probably like me, think sometimes, just being honest, I don't know if I can say this in church, that sometimes if the Bible's ever been boring to you or confusing to you or maybe it's archaic and it just feels like it's old, well the reality is you and I have lost in that moment the lens of Jesus. But when the lens of Jesus is over our eyes, the presence of God will show up powerfully in his word and we'll be able to understand it with clarity. Here's the shorthand way to say it. A Jesus lens will change your word view. A Jesus lens will change your word view. Now I'm pumped about this because I, this, this changed my life when I understood this. And I wanna help many of you perhaps understand how the word of God, the Bible, is not just some old historical book. There is an intimate relationship with the word of God and the presence of God in your heart. You and I will burn. You were made to burn. And you were made to burn for the right things. We've said this throughout the series, but the very best version of you and the very, very best version of me, the best version of your marriage, the best version of, of your career is experienced in the presence of God. You were made to live there. 
But we can't experience God's presence if we don't understand that the word of God is a part of the presence of God. Now check this out. It says that these men, good Jewish men, they've been raised around the history of the Old Testament. They knew Moses, they knew the prophets, they knew all the Sunday school stories like many of us. But what they did not have was an appropriate alignment and lens, and here it is. All of biblical history is his story. Jesus, I don't know what he talked about or how he definitively clarified this, but it said as he walked along the road, he helped them understand that Jesus Christ was the true and better version of every one of the folks in the Old Testament. Let me show you what I mean. If you're writing down notes, Jesus Christ was the true and better Adam. He wrestled with Satan in the garden and he won, amen? Jesus Christ was the true and better Abel. Remember Abel, he was killed by his brother and his blood was spilled, the first murder in the scriptures. The Bible says that Abel's blood cried out for justice. Well, Jesus is the true and better version of Abel. He spilled his blood. He was innocent and killed. His blood cries out for the Christian and says, my blood covers them. Jesus was the true and better Abraham. Remember Abraham? He left a known city to go to a completely new land to establish a people there. Jesus Christ is the true and better Abraham. He left heaven and came to earth to establish a new kingdom and a new people there. Is this helping anybody today? He is the true and better Moses. Moses, who represented the people, went up on the mountain and established a new covenant between the people and God. Jesus was the true and better Moses. He went up on the high place that none of us could go and established a new covenant with God, a covenant of love. Jesus was not just the true and better Moses. He was the true and better rock of Moses. Remember, it received the rod, and ultimately Jesus was the one that received the rod of justice, and then he flows eternal living water in the desert place. He's the true and better Esther. Esther, who had access to the king nobody else had access to, and he, Jesus, left the throne room of heaven, but he is the only one that can go back and forth and represent us to God, and he's the true and better Joshua. Joshua, whose name in Hebrew literally means Jesus in the Greek, same exact name. Joshua came twice to the promised land. Jesus will come back twice to earth. The first time he came humbly and he came lowly. The next time, like Joshua, he's gonna come at the sound of trumpets. The walls of this world like Jericho will fall down. And Rahab and her family who was clinging to the scarlet cord, just like that, you and I who cling to the blood of Christ will be welcomed into the family of God after those trumpets fall. He is the true and better Jonah. He's the true and better every. Everything. And this will change the way you read the Bible. It'll change the way you hunger for the word of God. But these men, just like many of us, we only knew the stories. We didn't understand how to read it. They needed the lens to change their word view. And Jesus gave it to them and it made all the difference. You see, they were walking a direction. They were walking a direction away from the people of God they were walking away from the presence of God there in Jerusalem at the time. They were walking away in, they were dividing, separating, if you will, going back home to their old tradition, their old way. But upon recognizing a lens of Jesus in the word, it changes their view and the way they operated in the world. I want you to write this down, okay? How, we, how do we see Jesus in the Old Testament? Oh, I'm skipping fast. I'm, I got so excited right there. I just went too fast. Here you go, ready? Number one, we see him in pictures. That's what I just did for you. We see him in the pictures of all the Old Testament 
narratives. He's the true and better. We see him in prophecy. We see him in prophecy like Isaiah 53. If you go and read Isaiah 53 today, you're gonna see 600 years before Jesus is on planet Earth, Isaiah is talking about someone whose stripes and pain will heal us. He prophesied about the cross. Did you know in the scriptures, there are 300 plus prophecies and promises that talk about Jesus before he even showed up on the planet? Wow. Pictures, prophecies, promises, all of these show us a clearer view of Jesus in the word. And then the last one is the person of Christ. We've mentioned it here before, but you may remember the song. Many people sing it today, um, Another in the Fire. It's a worship song that's really, really popular right now. It sings about a person that shows up in the furnace where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into when they would not worship King Nebuchadnezzar. They, they, they fought to only worship their God, and so they were thrown in the furnace, and the book of Daniel records that inside of that furnace, a fourth person showed up. Nebuchadnezzar cries out, and it says, look in the furnace, someone who looks like a son of the gods showed up. You know who that person was? It was the person of Jesus in the Old Testament. He shows up again and again and again, because here, what I want you to catch, all of the Bible is about Jesus. Jesus is the true and better everything in the Old Testament. And when you and I have that word view, it, like on the road to Emmaus with these friends, will change their worldview. So a Jesus lens doesn't just change their word view. A Jesus lens will change their worldview. Now, let me slow down for a moment because I think this is really, really helpful and I wanna make sure you get this. We need a clear lens to navigate in life right now, amen? I mean, it's an election cycle. Every four years, we're gonna need this. There's pandemics. There's all kinds of politicization going on. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you how this works, okay? Because here's the deal, and we'll say this again and again and again. As Christ followers, we are not gonna be called to the political right and left. That's not our job. We don't live on the horizontal plane. Instead, as Christ followers, we live kingdom down. Okay, this is super practical. We live kingdom down. We live on an up and down plane. We live from the kingdom of God down and we are grounded in the word of God. We don't sway to the right or left. My job as a preacher is not to get you to go right or left. My job as a preacher is to get you to see Jesus who will help you to live kingdom down, okay? So let me show you how this works. Okay, I'm gonna say a phrase. If you're not leaning in yet, you're gonna lean in now. I'm gonna say a phrase that every single person, young and old on every single campus, I believe has had to deal with and navigate and it's gonna live as a beautiful example of how this actually works, how your word view changes your worldview and gives you and I the way forward, okay? You ready for the phrase? Here it is. Black lives matter. Now, I've said it. How have you been navigating that phrase lately? What kind of conversations have you been having? How about with your spouse, your kids, your coworkers? Do you talk differently with your friends who don't look like you than you do with the family members in your home? Christian, this is important. We gotta figure this out. And you don't have to be silent on it because Jesus wasn't silent on it. I'm gonna show you how this works, okay? You ready? Because I'm not called to the political right or left, 
because of what the word of God says and the entirety of the scriptures is about God. I don't live right and left, I live kingdom down. Here's what I can say, with conviction and solidarity, you ready? Our church can say with conviction and solidarity. We can say this reality from the Imago day. we've all been created in the image of God with dignity. I can say from my mouth, I believe black lives matter. I hope you can say that too. I hope you can say that that matters right now in this moment. At the same time, I hope you can also understand that saying those words with conviction, with empathy, standing up, if you are a person who is in an opportunity, in a moment to, to lift a voice, to, to, to be kind, to, to show empathy, to show solidarity, in the same moment, you say black lives matter because I see that everyone's creating the image of God. You can also at the same time stiff arm an organization called Black Lives Matter that doesn't have a Christian worldview at all. And you don't have to choose between the two. You actually get to walk on the razor's edge because just as promised, Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you and I would just follow King Jesus, you and I don't have to kneel the knee to the left or the right. We can go kingdom down and we can live in a beautiful tension that invites people into the way of Jesus in a moment where you don't have to just be quiet or you don't have to just be loud. You can follow Christ and you can live in both spaces in a way that is helpful. Is this helping anybody? I want you to, I want you to feel this because it really does matter. Because here's the point, church. Discernment is not simply being able to tell the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is being able to tell the difference between right and almost right. And I want you to catch this too. Every single time in the scriptures that Satan shows up to tempt, he weaponizes the word of God. So just because you can quote a little bit of Bible doesn't mean it's obviously right. You've gotta be able to determine between what is right and what is almost right. And this is the way to do it. It's kingdom down living. It's not right or left living. It calls us higher. We are from another kingdom living for another world. And this is how we can navigate and be helpful in these days. Don't you know that Adolf Hitler used the Bible? Right? Don't you know that on the, on the website of the Ku Klux Klan, they're gonna use the Bible? Don't you understand that all of the people walking around Jesus' days were using scriptures? We've gotta be living a different kind of way. Here's the deal. It's not just pie in the sky, it is reality, and Jesus' life is proof. Let me help you understand. How many disciples did Jesus call? It's not a trick question, not rhetorical. How many did he call church? 12, okay. Two of those disciples, I want you to write this down because it's helpful. Two of those disciples I wanna just highlight for a moment. The first one is Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Now that moniker, the Zealot, is so important. It wasn't his last name, it was a political moniker. Zealots had taken an oath, a vow, to enact whatever means necessary to throw off Roman rule. Specifically, they would use any kind, any kind of violence they could to enact um, any kind of disruption or disturbance to the Roman rule. So zealots were famous for carrying daggers, carrying knives, and given the opportunity in a marketplace where they might be able to slip up beside a Roman soldier, they would be able to shank them and stab them and hurt them because they believed that Rome had no business being in Israel where the people of God were supposed to be. They used the Bible to justify that, and they would use the Bible to enact violence. Today, contextually, you could, in the same kind of way, roll this up into the world of the Antifa. Okay, I'm trying to help you here. So Jesus would call Simon the Zealot and say, hey, come and follow me. I want you to be one of my disciples. 
At the same time, over here, he's going and he's calling a man named Matthew, Matthew chapter nine. Now, the reason that Matthew's so significant is because Matthew was found where? Does anybody remember where Matthew was found? His name was Levi, and Jesus found him at a tax collector booth. He was a Roman sympathizer. This man had turned his back on Israel, had turned his back on the scriptures, and he was making a deal with Rome to charge Israeli folks, Hebrew people, God's people. He had made a deal with Rome to sit at the tax collecting booth and charge taxes to his own people. He would have been the absolute arch enemy of Simon the Zealot. And watch Jesus, I love him. He says, hey, Matthew, come and follow me. Hey, Simon, come and follow me. And he says, hey, boys, you're gonna be in the same home group. You're gonna have meals together. You're gonna do life together. I'm gonna call you to live in relationship together. I mean, you can imagine that they probably would not have preferred that, but when Jesus Christ doesn't call us politically right or left, he calls us kingdom down. He's gonna call us into relationship with people who aren't like us, amen? They're both there. They're both there. And they both have to be called to recognize that their traditions, their upbringing, their polity has to submit itself to a kingdom agenda and they've gotta decide what is the best way to live moving forward. And so do you. And I wanna just highlight this fact. He calls them again and again and again to the table, to relationship. We're gonna take communion today on all of our campuses. It's the first time we've taken communion since the coronavirus has occurred. We're gonna do it safely. It's gonna be great. Some of our pastors will be out in a minute to navigate that. But here's the point. Jesus, he gave this beautiful sacrament of communion because I believe he wanted us to have to wrestle again and again and again every single time we come to the table with which worldview we're going to submit to. Right or left or kingdom. And Jesus, this is be the only service I mentioned this in, but I think it's important. Jesus talks about leaven three different times in the New Testament, three different kinds of leaven. He warns his followers, be aware, be warned of the leaven of Herod. That's political leaven the leaven of Rome. Don't, don't give in to it. If you give in to that leaven, you're gonna not be living a kingdom life. The other leaven he warns is the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's religious leaven. That's, that's not life-giving leaven, that's religious leaven. We got this political and we've got this religious leaven. Those things are still at work today. The other leaven that he talks about is the leaven of the kingdom of God. And that's the kingdom down leaven. And he invites us as we eat bread and we drink the new covenant cup that we recognize we are not living right or left, we are living kingdom down. And so on the night that he establishes the Lord's Supper, right before he goes to the cross, both Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector took the Lord's Supper. They bowed their knee to the kingdom of God and they said, I'm gonna follow him. But I just wanna point this out. There was another option that night. There was somebody else who was invited to eat and opted out. Do you remember? It was Judas. And Judas, at the meal, decided that this was not the way he was going to go. The way of Jesus wasn't what he thought. It wasn't his agenda. Now, again, I don't know, but I'm just trying to help you understand the context of why Jesus betrayed Christ. Somewhere in the conversation, Judas did not 
want to give in to this kingdom agenda. Judas believed somewhere that Jesus wasn't doing all the things he said he was gonna do. He wasn't gonna establish the kingdom fast enough. He wasn't gonna throw off Rome the way Judas wanted to do it. He, he ends up betraying Jesus that night and he walks away. And you've gotta think that Judas is probably thinking as he walks away, I'm not buying into that. You've gotta think Judas as he walks away is thinking, that's just some radical, crazy man now. That's not the way of the Bible that he's read, the scriptures that he's read. He didn't have a Jesus word view, and so he didn't have a Jesus worldview. He thought he was walking away from a group of friends, a religious group, but you know who he was walking away from, church? He was walking away from the king of glory. And I just wanna raise a flag of warning. I wanna very soberly, in 2020, look at you and say, hey, there's a lot of people right now that are walking away from different groups they're saying, no, 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 I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna follow that. I'm not gonna buy into that. I'm not gonna get, Judas was the same way. But he walked away from Jesus Christ. Make sure that whatever division that you are allowing into your life to discern, I'm gonna walk away, I'm gonna walk away, I'm gonna walk away. Make sure that you're not walking away from Jesus. The invitation to the table is to come and eat, come and submit to a kingdom agenda that doesn't pull us politically right or left. It's how we navigate November 3rd. It's how we navigate every cultural moment we'll face. It's how we welcome every kind of life that matters. It's how we welcome and look at the image of the Imago Dei in every kind of person. Doesn't matter if they look like me or not and say they matter because they're made in the image of God. And it's also one of those ways that we recognize, is there anything in my life that I'm holding on to that is not of the kingdom of God? That's the invitation today for us to reconcile this. Mom and dad, I wanna encourage you to have conversations at home about this today. Husbands and wives, home groups, wrestle with this. Because listen, if you're gonna live a Jesus-following life in the world we're in today, put on a friggin' football helmet because you're gonna get hit, and that's okay. Because Jesus told us in this world we will have troubles, but we can take heart because why? He has overcome the world. So strap up and let's live a Jesus kingdom agenda life. Let me pray for us as our pastors come. We'll invite you to the table. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that we live right now in this moment in time where people are desperate and desirous and hungry for hope. Lord, would you give us the words, give us the examples in the life to be able to walk on this razor's edge, to live in the tension just like Jesus, you did. You were known as a friend of sinners. And Lord, if we need to have a little bit of guilt by association as we live in the tension, that's okay. But Lord, we also recognize that you call us to a higher way. You call us to a new kingdom, not a political one, not a religious one, but a kingdom that you are establishing in the earth. And we are on a path towards that kingdom in Revelation 7 where every nation, every tribe, and every tongue will be side by side, shoulder to shoulder, lifting up holy hands, dressed in white, declaring that you are the lamb. You are the king of kings. You are worthy. So as we eat this meal today, as we enjoy the bread and the cup today, would you remind us of the bread and the cup we get to look forward to on that day with our brothers and sisters from all over the world, from every expanse of time that have been redeemed and made new in you, Jesus. Would you set a hunger in our hearts for your word that causes a burning in our soul of your presence? I ask it.
Christ's name.